When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get rid of your credit card debt, get a lower monthly payment, and skip your next two house payments at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to save thousands with SaveWithConrad.com. Find out how much money you can save right now at SaveWithConrad.com. What's going on, everyone? This is the business of the business. This is Strictly Business, presented to you by the Ad-Free Shows and Podcast Heat Networks. I'm John Alba, joined as I am every single week by the star of Strictly Business, Mr. Eric Bischoff. Rough week at the Bischoff compound, I hear, huh? Yeah, rough week in uh, this part of uh, northwestern Wyoming. We had some uh, pretty intense lightning here, which is not unusual. But what is unusual is it actually hit my house. And, you know, the house is well-built and well-grounded and all of the things that you can do to mitigate that kind of an issue. But uh, house, no damage to the house because it was well-grounded. However, I think I fried two, three televisions total. Um, Our Wi-Fi, you know, our dishes, you know, the house has Skylink. Which is I love Skylink, by the way. Way to go, Elon! Um, but the studio, the the guest house on our property where I have my studio, has a different Wi-Fi setup, and both of them got fried. The dish. <laughs> His Wi-Fi kicked him as he was saying that all. Oh my goodness! I will edit all that out afterwards, but I just wanted you guys to see for sure how precious. The situation is. So, all right, we're back here with Eric Bischoff. Your your Wi-Fi really is uh, testing your limits here today, buddy. It's going to be a good I'm, one. I'm getting a little hot. You know, I checked my speed and everything to make sure everything was functioning before I got on. That's why I was a few minutes late. I thought, okay, we're good to go. Two minutes in, boom. I'm telling you, I'm <laughs> losing my patience. I try. I try. I try so hard to to be a more patient human being because it's always been an Achilles heel for me. I've, for the largest portion of my life, I've had zero patience when things are not going well. I'm trying my best. Let's see if we can get through this. Especially when you're forced to talk to me here on Strictly Business. I know I push and push and push and push at that patience sometimes, but we have a good time here talking about the business of the business. Hey, I want to ask you about this because i was listening to your conversation on 83 weeks about the jimmy and jay uso stuff coming off of SummerSlam, and i i think part of the business of the business is the execution of storytelling that's something we've talked a lot about here on this podcast in the past and i, I tend to lean more into what you were saying about how you felt like maybe this was a bit of a fumble at SummerSlam, and there's still time to follow it up but i was curious if you can recall any other time in your career where maybe in hindsight, you wish you could go back and hit a story beat differently. Oh my God. Major program specifically, major program specifically, you look back and say, ah, you know what? I don't think we hit the beat here properly in telling this story. effect. Oh, there's, there's not one. There's so many that it would be hard to pinpoint one. And I don't think that's necessarily because I love to beat myself up and, and, and be, you know, too critical of things that we did, but I I don't know how anybody who's in the creative business can, especially for live events and things like that, can look back and go, Oh, you know what? There's nothing I wouldn't do differently, or there's nothing that I couldn't have done better. I mean, it can always be better. There's always a way to make things better in just about every story, regardless of how successful or obviously unsuccessful they are. 
but I, I would, it would be impossible to pinpoint one. We would have to do an eight hour show. Isn't it amazing though, that you can have this great story that has been going on for literally years here. And then you hit a couple beats, maybe a little off, or you do something that people weren't necessarily expecting in a negative way. And all of a sudden, now your feet, they're being held to the fire here. And it's like, well, are, are they going to be able to salvage this? Are they going to be able to save it? Oh, I know, right? It was it's it was a blip. And, and let, let me say, you know, I, I think the Jimmy Turner, and I think Brandon Thurston, who's been a guest on the show, um, touched on it in a really smart way on social media, on Twitter, or X or whatever it's called, Twex. Um, you know, there were a lot of, evidently, no, I didn't see them. I didn't follow them, but evidently there's been plenty of seeds planted for Jimmy's turn, according to Brandon, if I read his post correctly. And I think I did. And that might've been part of the issue is the turn was not dramatic because possibly, I don't know that this is the answer, but it's always interesting to plant seeds, but planting those seeds and getting the audience to start speculating as to whether or not in this case, Jimmy Uso was going to turn or whether he was going to stay with, with Jay and, and, and aligned with Jay. That's an important part of storytelling. There's no question about that. The flip side is that when you're, if indeed a lot of, effectively seeds were planted kind of pointing to that possibility. In this case, Jimmy turned, but there was not necessarily the surprise, mm -hmm. the, the, Oh my God, I can't believe they did that. I didn't see that coming. That's part of what makes a turn, especially, but wrestling in general effective. I go back to something I've talked about often Research, you know, we did so much research when we launched Nitro, TNT did, and I participated in almost all of it. And it was, I don't know how many different cities around the country, 15, 20, maybe more focus groups, the whole nine yards, meter dialing to really determine what does the general audience feel? Not the hardcore internet wrestling fan, although they didn't really exist back then, but not the super hardcore fan, but the occasional fan or the lapsed fan or a current fan. And you, when you get a focus group of all of the above, so you're getting a balanced perspective of things. The one thing that across the board resonated so powerfully with me was that regardless of what bucket these fans fell into lapsed fan, current fan, occasional fan, hardcore fan, there were some of those. When I say hardcore, I mean every single week, every single wrestling show that was available at the time. The one common denominator that each of them had was they loved the element of surprise. And perhaps, not saying this was it, but perhaps because those seeds were planted ineffectively, it diminished the drama that usually accompanies a turn. And perhaps it was that letdown in that match that left viewers, including me, by the way, underwhelmed. Yeah. I, I thought, and I, I know this is going to sound critical, and everybody said, oh, he's always beating up on AEW. Look, people ask me my questions, ask questions of me like you just did, and I give an honest answer from my perspective based on my experience in the industry. For me, that match fell down for a couple of reasons, one that we just explained. The other is, what the hell is a tribal combat match? <laughs> what is that? Yeah, and you know, it's it's funny, Eric, you say that because think about all the Samoan history that exists in the wrestling industry and how many Samoan wrestling legends are out there who could have been present for something like this to really elevate that match and reinforce the whole story of, hey, this is about who is the head of the table, who is the tribal chief. And instead, it was more or less just a street fight, which is fine. It was, it was tables, ladders, and chairs without the ladder. Right. And it, it just didn't. And I mean, anybody that's listened to me for more than 45 minutes knows how I feel about gimmick matches. 
in my opinion, gimmick matches are generally a reflection of lack of any better idea. It's the lack of creativity is usually in my experience, both as a fan and as a producer, usually when you lean into a gimmick match, it's because you really don't have anything else better. The gimmick match is going to get a reaction because it's chairs and it's tables and it's fire extinguishers and kitchen sinks and garbage cans and garden trowels and whatever else you can fit under a ring generally. But it's just not mm-hmm. compelling from a dramatic point of view, storytelling point of view. Yeah, especially since pretty much every Roman Reigns match now has the same exact structure at this point where you know that you're going to get a really long match, there's going to be some sort of tomfoolery, and then there's going to be a major story beat. That's every single Roman Reigns match that we've seen over the course of the last couple of years. And that's fine, but at some point, people are going to start, okay, well, what are you going to present that's different, right? And I I really want to tee you up on this because, again, I, I could talk about storytelling and the nature of actually making the sausage when it comes to storytelling with you for hours. But what stuck out to me was in the press conference. If, if you remember back at WrestleMania, Paul Heyman said, we're just in the third inning here in this bloodline story. And then in the press conference at SummerSlam this week, he was asked, what inning are you in? And he said, well, we're in the bottom of the third inning. And I'm saying to myself, man, that was six months ago. And if he's saying we're still in the same inning here, at some point, Eric, you have to start making sure that those breadcrumbs that you're leaving behind are actually leading to something that propels things forward in a significant way. That's the way I look at it. Do you have any thoughts on that? No, I I think that's a good perspective or a good analogy. You know, I I tend to always look at things in a three act structure, life in general. Uh, But certainly when it comes to, to creative and specifically as it relates to wrestling, because that's where I have, I guess, the most experience in this type of thing. But to me, if, if, if when, when there's nobody I respect more creatively right now than Paul Heyman, but if we're in the bottom of the third, let's 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 go from a baseball analogy to a, a, a traditional storytelling analogy. If you're in the bottom of act, if you're in the middle of Act Two, which I guess is as close as I can get to equating bottom of the third, if you're early in the story as the third inning would represent in a baseball game, you're still in the early phases of that game, or in this case, story. You've got to advance the story. And and you've got to advance it in a way that it's escalating. It's building. That's why they call it an arc. So Paul's analogy of being the bottom of the third inning would suggest that he's just now closing up the first act. That's and if that's true, go, oh my gosh, this is gonna be, <laughs> these people should be winning Emmys at some point because they've done such a phenomenal job. And to suggest that you can't strike out in the bottom of the third, or you can't hit a pop up fly in the bottom of the third, or you can't commit commit an error in the bottom of the third and still win the game and win the World Series, you know, let's not get too you know confused about where we're at and concerned about whether or not they can continue. I think the creative team has demonstrated without question that they have the ability and the understanding. Perhaps they just committed an error because perhaps they couldn't really think through a finish to this that was more dramatic. Or maybe they just put all of their eggs in the Jimmy turn, assuming that that would be the moment, the dramatic moment in the match, which it could have been and arguably should have been, and it just wasn't. It could have been the way it was executed. Perhaps, there, you know, it's hindsight, 2020, everybody's got it. Doesn't take a half, a, half an ounce of, of experience or talent or creativity to criticize something after the fact. But perhaps as they analyze, and I'm sure they are, discussing, okay, that really wasn't what we hoped it would be or could be. Perhaps they're looking at the execution of the turn and going, you know, we could have done that better. We could have done that differently. To your to your point early on in this um, this podcast is, you know, can you go back and think of anything that you could have done differently? I'm sure they're going back and they're analyzing. And even while it was happening, you know, there's a lot of very, very, very experienced, talented, creative people back there watching in Gorilla. 
I would not be surprised if back in Gorilla they were watching along with everybody else going, oh, that was kind of flat. No big deal. An error in the bottom of the third or at the end of the first act, as the case may be. Great. There's another inning coming up. Let's get the team together. Let's focus and let's move on. I don't, look, bump in the row. I don't even know if it was a bump. You know, they ran over an empty can. Yeah. A little noise. All right, let's move on. So I'm still very, very optimistic. Um, But I I was let down. I thought that that match to me was the least interesting and compelling thing on the entire card. Wow. I thought everything else on that card was better than the main. Wow. I saw your comments on Ronda, and I got a lot of WWE stuff to throw at you today. I saw your comments on Ronda and where she was kind of at mentally at the end of that fight and where you think's next for her. But I'd like to pose this to you as far as the business is concerned. When Ronda came in back in 2018, after years of speculation that she would finally get involved with WWE, I think a lot of people figured that this would be a major game changer for women's wrestling, for WWE in the mainstream, for a major crossover star coming into WWE. Now that we've had five years to digest it, it seems like she might be on her way out, potentially even for good. Did Ronda Rousey change the wrestling business, Eric Bischoff? Well, I don't know. It's a subjective question or requires a subjective answer. Uh, For me, no. I think, you know, if I had to point to one person or two, I'm going to, in this case, two people that have really had a dramatic impact on women's wrestling, the most dramatic impact on, on, on women's wrestling in WWE, I would point to Charlotte Flair, and I, I probably would point to Becky Lynch even more so. I think Becky Lynch back in 2018, 2019, put on a clinic on how to use social media to enhance your character and your story. And she came out of that period six months or so. I mean, I was I, I watching Becky Lynch's social media made me a fan of Becky Lynch. Watching Becky Lynch's and reading Becky Lynch's uh, posts on social media made me, compelled me to seek her out and see what this is all about. She really did a phenomenal job. And I loved her character back then. I'm not as big on her character now or as of late. I haven't seen much of her recently. But, you know, the -the over-the-top kind of character, you know, the way she dresses and carries herself and, and all that. Oh, not so much. I loved, I loved the just hardcore, just tough as nails, blue collar character that she represented. And I'm, I'm getting more of a Hollywood fluff character now, as opposed to that just hardcore what is she Scottish or Irish? I can't remember. Yeah, she's she's Irish. So you you like more of her Austin more than more of her rock is what. Yeah, you're yeah, that's a good way of putting yeah. it. Absolutely, yeah, I, I love Becky's Austin more than Becky's rock. Perfect. Yeah, I see. I see what you're saying. Well, I'll tell you this on, on the Ronda front. I do think that she added significant equity in making sure that the women were able to main event WrestleMania 35, the first ever women's WrestleMania main event. I'm not sure it happens that year without Ronda Rousey, despite how hot Becky Lynch was, despite how hot. There's no arguing that because of timing and coincidence and who, who Ronda was and where she had been and what she was bringing to the table. No question that that paved the way for that main event opportunity. For that, she deserves credit. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting what if for years to come, in my opinion, of what could have been with Ronda Rousey. But she was a UFC star that crossed over to WWE. And for all we know, Eric Bischoff, we might be getting a whole lot more of that as this Endeavor deal starts to close. We learned this week that it is estimated to finish within about a month. So we are approaching the business quite literally picking up. And there were a few business notes this week that came out of it, Eric. Uh, Number one, first and foremost, and this was to be expected here, but Ari Emanuel did state that they are expecting, I'll I'll read his quote here, that they are expecting to make cost savings and synergies happen immediately upon the deal being finalized. That's a lot of corporate speak, Eric, for layoffs, essentially. 
And Nick Khan stated back in April that the company, WWE, could be looking at up to $50 million in cuts. I know you don't necessarily know, obviously, it's all speculation, but from your history with these sorts of transactions and what you've observed from the sidelines, where do these types of cuts typically happen when you get a big merger like this? Administrative, because that's the first place you're going to have a lot of duplication. Um, I, you know, I've talked on this show and in, in on 83 weeks about, I mean, common sense would suggest that UFC has a marketing department, division, whatever you want to call it. WWE has a marketing division department. There's going to there's duplication there because it's there there just would be naturally when you merge two you got ten people over here you got ten people over here well let's take we don't need twenty people in our marketing division or department so let's take the ten best you know and that's that's the efficiencies of mergers that's one of the reasons why a merger can make sense is when you can sit back and go, okay, these are two powerful entities. When we bring them together, how do we, how do we take the best of both worlds, combine it into a more effective and more efficient from a cost perspective operation? It's just natural. And I think market, any, any, any aspect of the administrative side of, of both companies are probably going to be the ones looked at first. Um, beyond that, you know, I, I think UFC probably has its own production. WWE obviously has its own production. I don't see a lot of duplicity there or duplication in, in efforts there. Duplicity wasn't the right word. I don't see a lot of duplication there because they're two different products that require two different types of production talent from a direct, from, you know, from director, directors to producers to cameramen, you know, covering UFC uh, as in terms of production as a cameraman, for example, is much much different. And requires a different skill set altogether than than producing professional wrestling. Where if your experience as a camera operator, for example, in, in professional wrestling, and you're good at it, you've learned how to anticipate what's coming up next so that you can be there and get that dramatic shot. Whereas in UFC, you're covering the action as it's happening. You can't anticipate much, right? You're, you can't afford to be looking over here four or five seconds before the action gets there so that you can capture it. You've got to stay on the action. May, may not have articulated that well, but they're two different skill sets, same business, same cameras, but require a different experience and talent. So not I don't mention, see duplication there. Not, not to mention WWE is basically a production company at this point. Yeah. So I don't, I, I don't see, I mean, perhaps there'll be some cost savings there or, or ways to combine those two departments. I don't see much of that, but I would suggest primarily an administrative that would include marketing and promotion and perhaps accounting, you know, all kinds of different areas that are not that sexy to talk about. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Obviously, the fans are going to want to wonder, well, is that going to translate to talent layoffs? And what does that mean? And I think Nick Khan has stated in the past that they're not necessarily anticipating that. But I also caution at the same time, we really don't know. Right, Eric? No, no we, we don't know. But and, and look, I understand why that's the first thing that fans, one of the first thing that fans will be concerned about, because that's what they see on television. You know, and that's even if there's talents who aren't necessarily part of the regular weekly television roster, there's still talents there that people are familiar with that are perhaps fans of and hoping is going to get an opportunity and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of the, the glue that holds the fan base together and, and particularly on the social media side or the internet wrestling community side. 
But look, you know, is there any business out there where you're not constantly reevaluating your talent, whether you're a manufacturing company or, uh, or a design company, or you're in the software engineering business, you're constantly evaluating your talent and looking to bring in better, more experienced talent um, and possibly phasing out talent that just for whatever reason, isn't moving the needle to the extent that it should. That's life, folks. I doubt any of us have ever had a job where we weren't under some sort of an evaluation process constantly. It's just life. And look, I'm sure it's going to happen. There are going to be talent releases. Maybe not so much in AEW because they tend to collect talent um, and just put them on the shelf and pay them, which nothing against that. Good for the talent. And if Tony can afford it, which obviously can, no harm, no foul. Stack them up. But in WWE, you're a publicly held company. You have a you have a responsibility to your shareholders first and foremost. It's a fiduciary responsibility. You have to make decisions and choices and manage your company in a way that is going to grow the value of the company. And if that includes cutting some talent loose, that despite all their best efforts or the company's efforts, just isn't doesn't have a future. Really, you're going to let them go. And I think that's a constant process that isn't necessarily directly related to a merger. Now, maybe the merger will provide an impetus or become a catalyst uh, to make those decisions a little faster than they would have otherwise been made. Probably, possibly, I don't know. But I don't think anybody should overreact to it. It's just part of life, man. We did get a little more insight as to how the TKO Holdings structure is going to look wwe by the way this week the stock price hit another record high reaching 114 dollars per share uh, giving it a company market valuation of nearly 8.5 billion dollars at the end of the day there's going to be six individuals from endeavor and five from wwe on the board side Uh, that'll be vince mcmahon nick khan steve kunin nancy tellium and I believe there's one more individual. I want to make sure that I've got this right here. Uh, one more yet to be named at this point in time. The rest of the group will consist of Ari Emanuel, Mark Shapiro, Jonathan Kraft, who's the son of New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft, uh, Egan Durban, who's the chairman of WME, Carrie Wheeler, and Sonia Medina. Uh, Paul Levesque, not part of the executive board anymore. And uh, I was making a joke. I was like, oh, the palace intrigue. But this seems to be more or less something that was probably expected when you're combining these companies, isn't it, Eric? Yeah, you've, you've got some major horsepower there. And yeah. you know, no disrespect intended <clears throat> at all to, to Paul Levesque. I think he's done, <clears throat> from what I can see <clears throat> and what I've heard, um, he's doing an amazing job. And, and, will continue to do an amazing job and continue to grow. But let's be honest, giving the list that you just went through, Paul Levesque doesn't have a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the experience that the people on that group have in terms of managing, operating a public company. It's, it's, a, it's a different kind of world. And it's also, it's a little bit of casting. You know, when you put it together a board, you're not only looking for the best and the brightest of the people that are, you know, potentially able to really help contribute and guide based on their experience and, and your understanding of the, the industry that is entertainment. But, you know, you, you're also casting for perception. Sure. For the stockholders, for other potential investors. Um, it's a bit of casting. And I think on that list of people, Paul Levesque probably had the least amount of experience in being involved in operating a public company at, at that level. Sure. At there is level. one more board member to be named by WWE in the immediate future. That will, who do you think it'll be? Let's speculate. Who do you think it'll be? Maybe he'll end up being Paul of who's to say, but uh, I, or maybe Stephanie. So, okay. So let me tee that up to you. So I was going to follow that up we found out that Vince will own 16.4% of the stock for the new company. Stephanie will own 1.1%, even though she's not involved with WWE in really any capacity right now. And Linda McMahon, 
who's been going through her entire situation with Vince, as we know, will have 0.3% of the company's stock. No word at this time as to how much Shane may or may not receive. But that's the breakdown of that. I think Stephanie flying back in here, it seemed like there's an open opportunity, wouldn't it? Well, and I don't know what the significance is of 1.1% of the company. I don't know if there is any in, in terms of what that, what that actually means beyond just the, the, the value of it, dollar value of it. But take that out, put it off to the side. And I think Stephanie is one of the most likely, she's very, very smart. Let's, and she's, she's had a lot of experience on the corporate side, more so than Paul Levesque has, much more so because that's where Stephanie has spent her time in WWE primarily. And yes, she was a talent. And before that, you know, probably as a teenager, she did all kinds of things, you know, that, that were a part of the business, but Stephanie has been instrumental in the public facing portion of WWE now for a long, long time and has done an exceptional job to me. If I got to vote, Stephanie's name would definitely be on the table. She's, She's incredibly bright. She has a, an amazing feel for this industry. There are a lot of people on that board probably don't. Now, the only one that I know is Steve Coonan. I actually worked with Steve Coonan when Steve Coonan was an executive at Coca-Cola. And Coca-Cola was coming out with a new high sugar, high energy, uh, I think it was to compete with Mountain Dew, uh, a new soft drink called Surge. Surge, yeah. And Steve Coonan and I worked very closely together on the integration of that Coca-Cola product into Nitro. Interesting. So I I got to know Steve a little bit. I mean, it's like we didn't go out to dinner and hang out or anything like that. But, you know, worked fairly closely together um, creatively and and also logistically and strategically to, to launch that brand. And it was a pretty successful launch, I might add. I um, believe he's the owner of the, the Atlanta Hawks now. So owner? that was, yeah, I believe, or he's either the, let's see, CEO. I remember reading, he was an executive with the Hawks. Unless there's a new ownership group and he's part of it. I don't follow the Hawks or basketball yeah. for that matter. So who knows? But I just know that Steve is a very, very experienced guy who is at least had his foot in the water. Yeah. Um, with regard to professional wrestling. Beyond that, everybody else on that board, I'm guessing, brings all kinds of other vast and incredibly valuable experience to a board because that's why you have a board, is to have different perspectives, different areas of expertise and experience. And you combine that to come up with the best answers and solutions and directions for a company. That's what a board does. Um, I think Stephanie brings a massive amount of successful corporate experience to that to that pot i'd love to see it to be honest with you i agree i'd be curious too if kevin dunn would be the one to get the nods i don't think so kevin is not again i i think i know kevin pretty well we've hung out socially occasionally i don't think kevin has the temperament or desire to be anywhere near that type of environment yeah Uh, i was just gonna follow up by saying i'm not sure if they'd be looking for someone with necessarily his background to fill that type of position like you said, I, th- I think it's a very corporate-oriented executive board, this new t- TKO Holdings Company, based on the resumes of those that were just listed. Uh, so we will see how that all unfolds within the next few weeks here, Eric. We are not that far away. Uh, one more thing I would like to get into on the WWE front. and I know this probably piques your interest a bit based on your prediction from earlier this year. Well, NXT this past week, Eric, did 776,000 viewers. It's the highest average rating for the show in two years. The 18 to 49 came in at a 0.23, third week in a row. And the average yearly viewership of NXT is up by about 25,000, 30,000 viewers for the year. The show this past week was headlined. By Dominic Mysterio defending his North American Championship against Dragon Lee and Rey Mysterio 
was on the show in Dragon Lee's corner. Clearly, Eric, this paid off big time for NXT. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the integration of more and more main roster stars here, including the likes of Rey Mysterio and what kind of equity he would add to a brand like that. I'm surprised we haven't seen it before this. I'm glad we're seeing it. I'm surprised we haven't. And I think people have to remember, NXT is a developmental organization. It isn't their biggest, brightest stars. WWE's biggest, brightest stars, as it is with AEW. You see their top talent on that show regularly. NXT is a developmental company. And I, I, I wouldn't expect it to get the kind of ratings with people who are trying to become stars as it will get when it, it has people who are established stars on the show. Right now, arguably, Dominic Mysterio is probably not the hottest talent in WWE on the roster. <clears throat> he's still relatively young and, and new to the industry and building. He's probably in the, the bottom of the first inning in terms of his career. Um, but he's pretty hot. Now you bring Ray in as part of to 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 support that story, to augment the reality or the the storyline, it's not reality, but the storyline that's going on in, inside of the, on the main roster and the main shows, brilliant idea. I'm surprised we haven't seen it sooner, but I'm glad we're seeing it. And I think you're going to, if, if we continue to see it, I can see, and I, in fact, I predicted it last year, early this year, I think I said to Conrad that at some point in time, NXT is going to outperform Dynamite. And they're within about 100,000 viewers or less of doing that. I predicted it would happen this summer. I, I'm going to stick with that. Let's get yeah. to work, guys. Come on. That was your pre-year prediction here on Strictly Digital. <laughs> I'll tell you. You remember the old story they did back when you were in WWE with Dominic and Ray and Eddie? The custody battle story? Oh, yeah. You probably didn't see this. There was a segment the other week where they had Dominic reading mean tweets to him. And it was him being asked, you know, how do you feel about disappointing your father? Don't you ever want to make amends with him? And he's reading the tweet and he goes, you know, this weighs on me every day. And I really wish there was something that I could do about it. But unfortunately, there isn't. I miss you every day, Eddie. I miss you every day. And I said, awesome. That little awesome. shit. <laughs> you know, he's just got that baby face. Like he looks like he could still barely grow stubble. And then there he is making claims like that and you know what eric it's fine if you can't grow stubble because with our friends over at manscaped they've got you covered for keeping things clean today manscaped is here as a sponsor for your bouncing bundle of joy no we're not talking about a baby we're talking about the baby makers that's right today's episode of strictly business is presented by manscaped but just like babies your delicate little guys have sensitive skin and they deserve products that are not only skin safe, but made with safe ingredients. That's where Manscaped's Platinum Package comes on in. From razors to shower care, this package goes above the gold standard for your body hair. So treat your beautiful boys to the world's finest toys at manscaped.com and use our code WrestleBiz, W-R-E-S-T-L-E-B-I-Z for 20% off plus free shipping. Eric, the Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. They designed this package to allow you to fully align your entire hygiene routine with elite products. We talk about them all the time here on Strictly Business. What is your personal favorite Manscaped product, Eric? Well, my favorite <clears throat> would probably be the, the product that I use most frequently. And I would say it's the... Uh, they got oh. the lawnmower. They got the weed whacker. No, the weed whacker. The weed whacker. Got when you get older, hair starts growing in places that it didn't grow, or at least not to the extent that it does. Um, so yeah, I've got to, you know, I got to trim my ears and nose hair and my eyebrows every once in a while because you get those Carl. You know who Carl Muldoon was? Mm-hmm. And he had eyebrows. You could like hide a body in those eyebrows, <laughs> like. He could have really, and 
I used to look at that and go, God, how, how does that happen? Well, again, as you get older, all of a sudden your eyebrows start growing faster than hair on your head. So yeah, I use, I, I use all of the product. Obviously you got to keep the junk clean. Mrs. B digs that. There you go. You know, she likes that baby, baby soft, baby smooth kind of vibe. I I'm happy to provide it to her because if you make happy wife, happy life, all that good stuff. But it's the, uh, yeah, it's the weed whacker that I probably, it's my go-to. Well, thankfully, this Platinum Package 4.0 has more than just the Weed Whacker. It's got the Lawnmower 4.0. It's got the Weed Whacker. It's got the Ultra Premium Body Wash, Ultra Premium 2-in-1 Shampoo Plus Conditioner, Ultra Premium Deodorant, Crop Preserver Anti-Shaping Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Ball Spray Toner, Anti-Shaping Boxers, and the Shed Travel Bag to hold all your goods while traveling. This is the ultimate all-in-one premium kit that you got to get your hands on. And don't forget to apply their aluminum-free ultra-premium deodorant for that cologne-quality scent on the go once you're done shaving, by the way. The Platinum Package 4.0 covers all bases from head to toe and even hair to ball fro. Get 20% off and free shipping with code WRESTLEBIZ at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code WRESTLEBIZ. Use the Platinum Package because the gold standard, Eric, well, quite frankly, it's just no longer good enough hey guys tony shivani need to call a timeout real quick wanted to tell your listeners what i've been telling what happened when listeners for a while now about all the cool things happening over on adfreeshows.com conrad sits down with a pioneer of wrestling television production director dan bynum who discusses his journey through wcw roh mlw and where it all began for him world class what really was the uh, the thing that, that catapulted it was, one, working with Ric Flair. He came to the territory and wrestled with the Von Erich boys and gave us so much uh, gravitas. And two, the greatest feud in the history of wrestling, the Freebird Von Erich feud. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were there at the hottest time with the hottest show, and we took over the world. The Yeti, Ron Reese, sits down with Ad Free Shows members to talk about his infamous night at Halloween Havoc and how it was received by the boys in the back. Oh, no, I remember, like, Arn Anderson told me that that was the Drizzly Shits and Dusty Rose is like, that was the worst thing I've ever seen. And I'm just like, hey, thanks. <laughs> That's just a small taste of what we got waiting for you. With four levels to choose from, see for yourself why Ad Free Shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at adfreeshows.com. Hey, I just, before we get going, I just want to follow up a little bit on Dan Bynum. Dan Bynum was the director for WCW, the lead director, primary director, um, before Craig Leathers. So when I got to WCW, Dan, Dan Bynum was the man in the truck. And I used to, you know, I'd have my, a couple of interviews to do or whatever. I wasn't very busy during the show for the most part. And... I'd always go into the truck, like right after I first started. And I would just hang in the back just to listen to Dan Bynum call a show. The most entertainment I've ever experienced in a working environment, Dan Bynum was so animated and great when he was calling shots and, and, and directing the show. It was the most entertaining thing that, happened to WCW. Unfortunately, it only happened in the truck and nobody got to watch it, but me and the people Dan worked with, but amazingly talented guy. But beyond that, one of the most interesting people I've ever worked with. Uh, love, loved it. I ran into him at Ric Flair's last match. It was the first time I'd laid eyes on Dan and God knows how many years, decades. And he's just a cool, cool cat. I don't think people know if you've never worked in production or television, just how challenging directing a show is and calling shots. And when you have someone who's really firmly in control and if they're doing it with the animation that you're insinuating here, uh, they truly are some of the best in the business. And I don't think they honest to John, not to cut you off, but if, yeah. we, if there was some way to have captured that on a GoPro you know, with audio, that would be some of the most valuable footage right now available anywhere because he was so God, hey, he was funny. It yeah, was funny well, for me because I didn't have to work directly with him, but I'm sure the people around him were like, "Oh my God!" But man, he was he, he was fantastic, he was very talented, but 
funny as fuck. Well, when CM Punk debuted in AEW, AEW released the like three minute video from the production truck of them calling the entire scene. And Kevin Sullivan, the director at the time, was the one calling the shots. And it was amazing to watch. I'll have to send you that video if you've never seen it. It was really, really cool. And I think they're some of the most underappreciated people in all of production. So I'm oh, I do too, them. man. You talk about having to juggle hand grenades. That's that's what being a director for a live show is. It is yeah. literally juggling hand grenades. I'm all about giving them their flowers. Let's let's talk a little AW here before we wrap up on Strictly Business. They're going to break 80,000 tickets, Eric, for All In. It's pretty amazing. Right now, they're in the high 79,000 range. They've surpassed the tickets sold for SummerSlam 1992, which is the iconic event at Wem the original Wembley Stadium. Just all around a monumental accomplishment for pro wrestling, in my opinion. And it really encompasses just how special that a night like this is going to be. But it really boils down to how do you harness that and build on it, doesn't it, Eric? Well, it does. You want to put your best foot forward. You, you want the buzz after the show, after the event, to, to meet the buzz going into it. You know, you've got a lot of great buzz and people are excited and there's you know, anticipation and support and all that. And you want to make sure you maintain that and, and come out of that event with the same level of excitement, support, and enthusiasm. And I, I touched on it. I don't know where I did it or who I did it with, but to me, it's all about, you know, the, the star of that show is the audience. That's who you should be focusing on the most. Yeah. Because the more the audience reacts, the more, the more powerfully the audience reacts, assuming it's positive. But the more powerfully the audience reacts, the more this event is going to resonate into the future. And that's one of the things that I, you know, I said it and I said it in kind of a snarky way intentionally. But Tony, do not book for the internet, book for that audience, book for the emotion and the drama, you know, light, either the, the blood and all the, what everybody thinks in the, the locker room of AEW or in Tony's case, Tony, you know, the blood, the gore and the extreme stuff, man, if you got to do that on your weekly TV to satisfy that portion of your audience, do whatever you think is right. Even though your audience is clearly not growing like WWE's has grown over the last year, but yeah, keep doing that. But when you've got a live event audience, you've got 80 plus thousand people there. If you can provide the drama that will get the most reaction, the most positive reaction, if you can provide the drama and emotion that keeps that audience alive throughout that event, it almost doesn't matter what happens in the ring. It does, clearly, because what happens in the ring is what's going to create that emotion. But the most important star on that show is not CM Punk. It's not John Moxley. It's not Chris Jericho. It's the audience. And if that audience gets your show over, Bingo. Home run. Bottom of the ninth, World Series, home run. Out of baseball. If, if you don't prioritize the audience and maximize the emotion and the drama, all you have are numbers on a page to brag about. And you don't have the benefit of the buzz and the emotion and the credibility that that audience can provide to you if you tag them in as the star of the show. One thing they do have working in their favor right now, and I'm not sure how much you've paid attention, but the main event story that they have between Adam Cole and MJF has been one of the best stories told in AEW so far from a character development standpoint. And the two of them are going to be main eventing the show. And we also found out this week they're going to be wrestling on the pre-show as well for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championship. See, that's Austin. weird to me. That, that, that is freaking weird to me. There you go. There you go. Well, I my mean, my belief is that it's there's a story beat that's going to be hit there, but it is it is odd. It, it is doesn't different. matter. It doesn't matter. Even if it's a good story, it doesn't matter. They've done a great job of building the anticipation. Let it be. Let it be. I don't whatever. 
Who knows? Hopefully, I'm wrong. Hopefully, yeah. I next time we do that, after that show's over, we'll go see Eric. He should have been so hard on that de- decision. Unfortunately, Mucker Fathers, I'm right about eighty percent of the time. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, that's different. But the fact is, I'm right about eighty percent of the time. And in this case, I didn't even know that, by the way. But in this case, it would be. Somebody, if I was sitting at the table and somebody said, hey, I got an idea, let's put arguably two of the biggest names on a roster, and in your, taking your position, because I haven't been following it, maybe one of the best storylines going, and let's have it in the pregame show, because it's a ring of honor. First of all, nobody fucking cares about ring of honor. Why would you dilute your event and your two, two of your at least – from my perspective, valuable pieces of talent, and in your perspective, one of your best storylines on the pregame show. If you haven't advanced your story by now, Mucker Fathers, you're dead in the water. But you have advanced it. They, I, you know, I saw the clips, MGF's promo, and I think the world fun. of MGF. I think he's, I think he's probably the most important talent on that show. Mm-hmm. And I think he's the most important oh, part of the future is. of AEW. The, but, Eric, there is one person week in and week out. I was just looking at the quarterly ratings for Dynamite this week. There is one person week in and week out that the audience goes up for. And it's Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Yeah, how could it not be? He is without question the most entertaining character on that show. I'll argue. I don't care about anybody else's opinion. If you think differently than me, you're not thinking at all. You're reacting emotionally because you're a fanboy. Listen, MJF is the most valuable man on that roster. And to put him on the pregame show? Well, he's also would, in the main event. I want, I want, huh? He's also in the main event. Who cares? He's in the pregame show. It's that's the silliest damn thing I've ever heard. Whoever came up with that idea should be beat. Like <laughs> wrap a baseball bat in a towel so you don't do any permanent damage. Oh my goodness. But inflict some discomfort, if you will, oh. for even coming up with an idea like that. And who said, yeah, I like that? Put them in a corner, tape their mouth shut. Take their laptop away. Jeez. Don't let Speaking them communicate of, for at least a month. Speaking of bats, your boy Sting is going to be on this show, too. That was announced officially this week. Him and Darby Allen versus Swerve Strickland and AR Fox. I, I just wanted to ask you about this. We got one more piece of business on the AEW front, then we'll wrap up. But you have such a history with Sting. He's... You know, on the last hole of his career here, this will probably be the last major show that he ever works. Will you have why any you, extra? Why do, you, why do you say that? I just don't see AEW doing another eighty thousand person show within the next year and a half or so. That because he's pretty much said that he is rounding third, headed home here. If we're using baseball analogies, oh, okay. I, did, I, I, I wasn't yeah. aware of that. So yeah, I mean, I think he recognizes that he has very limited amounts of matches left. So there's a good chance that this could be his last major, major show. I hope it is. Okay, so go ahead. Why? Because of what you just said. I want Steve Borden to experience the highlight of his career. Whether And that's subjective. Only Steve can answer that. But undoubtedly, having the opportunity at this stage of his life and his career to go out in front of 80,000 people and get that reaction and that love and that energy and that support has to be the highlight of his career, at least in one respect. And if not the, I I mean, for me, it would be that, that would be it to be able to go out in front of 80,000 people who are supporting you, reacting to you, you know, exchanging that energy and that love and that support, that has to be the highlight of his career. Mm-hmm. Has to be. And why not go out on a high note? Why would you want to go from that to wrestling in front of 5,000 people on a dynamite show for TV? That's not the best way to go out. Go out. Go out on a high note. And if indeed he's rounding third, heading for home, and if indeed AEW is unlikely to, to be able to you know create an event like this anytime in the next 12 months or 18 months or within the, the time frame, of Sting's plans for his career, 
then my God, man, embrace this moment. Cherish every fraction of a second of this moment and then wave goodbye and go out with the biggest smile on your face you possibly can, not wishing you would have done something a little different. You know what's amazing, Eric? I'm, I'm trying to pull up the research right here, but I am pretty sure that this will be Sting's largest, it, it, might be, it might be largest ever, but this will be the largest crowd he's wrestled in front of at least since WCW closed down because WrestleMania 31 did 76,000 fans. This has sold more. So at 64 years old, in what could be one of his last few matches here, Sting will wrestle in front of maybe the biggest audience of his career. How crazy. And, and, and if it was me, and, and look, there's no, there's no right answer here. There are multiple right answers. There are multiple correct decisions on how the finish should go for this. You could argue them all, and everybody arguing it would probably be correct, right? But for me, I would make this all about Sting, and I would give him that moment because he's earned it. And the audience will appreciate a moment like that with Sting prevailing in whatever the storylines end, ends up being, prevailing in the finish, not used as a, a means to an end or, or, or step along the way. But I mean, make this about Sting and let him get that moment. Because if you do, the audience will respect not only Sting and give him the love he deserves and he's earned, frankly, but it will also indirectly benefit AEW for giving Sting that moment. Sure. Respect yeah. begets respect. And there would be no, I would not even have a conversation with anybody about whether or not that's the right thing to do. The only conversations I would have is what's the best way to do it. I got one more thing to throw at you here. This comes from Warner Brothers Discovery this week. Uh, the report via CNBC claiming that Warner Bros. Discovery is targeting the beginning of the Major League Baseball postseason to debut a sports tier for max streaming. So this would be live streamed. The report indicates that the company plans to simulcast games from Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, and NCAA, including March Madness, which is one of the most valuable properties in all of sports in the entire world, Eric, on the max platform. It also intends to add content from its sports media outlet, Bleacher Report, such as highlights and interviews. Warner Brothers Discovery plans to brand the new tier using the Bleacher Report name. The people said the company wants to target a younger audience that increasingly skips the traditional pay TV bundle and would be more aligned with a digital sports brand such as Bleacher Report. This comes as uh, speaking with your friend Mike Johnson, a PW insider, Tony Khan specifically mentioned uh, that he would love to land on Max, specifically saying that it's his dream that the AW library lands on Max. Your reaction to uh, Warner Brothers Discovery seemingly jumping into the live sports streaming property at this moment in time, Eric? I'll tell you what, going back to what opened up the show, and I know we're trying to wrap up here, but bear with me. Take your time. Minutes. Take your time. Um, obviously, you know, Mrs. B and I, you know, we watch a lot of streaming product, but we also have cable as a backup uh, until this past Sunday when everything got fired. <laughs> right. But we have yet to get our streaming back up. We do have our direct TV up. It has been a long time since we've only had direct TV. You know, we've been streaming now for a long time and, and increasingly like the rest of the world more often, it hasn't been until the last couple of days that we really miss streaming and recognize just how much we really watch versus how much I thought I watched. You know, there are a couple, you know, some of the things that I still watch uh, that are based in cable, you know, news primarily. Um, yes, but man, do I miss my streaming platform. And I think the move to streaming is an obvious one. Now, Max, I, I don't know whether or not they're set up for live streaming yet. It, it may be library. I don't know. But 
I, I can understand why Tony is so excited about that opportunity because that is, you know, I've never argued this. I've never defended against it, but I've, I've uh, clearly streaming is the future. In fact, when AEW was first announced or the intention to launch AEW was first announced before the Turner, uh, before Turner picked him up and TNT picked him up before it was announced, somebody asked me, you know, what would you do if you were Tony? I said, I'd put all my eggs in a streaming basket. This was four years ago. Now I said this because streaming is where it's going to go. Why not be the biggest and the best and the most attractive entertainment platform out there by establishing yourself in streaming and then get acquired as opposed to going to the TV route? Obviously, it was successful for AEW going the TV route first and then building towards streaming. But that is the future. That's where it should be going. And, and I, I certainly understand why Tony's excited. What do you make of Max's strategy here? in terms of integration with live streaming being the sports properties? I, I, I can see it. I mean, for the same reason I just said, that's where the future is. You know, the future isn't streaming. Why would you not want to put your most valuable properties where the future is as opposed to where the future was? Very fascinating because they're going to be branding it, according to this report, under the Bleacher Report name, which will almost give max a brand identity within its brand identity which is going to be fascinating and i'm curious how they view aew in that property would it be a sports entity or would it be i I honestly think john that this was probably if there is a if there is one reason why warner discovery is supportive of aew it's in anticipation of the streaming platform because the, you know, professional wrestling and other sports has as well, but sports are seasonal, right? You know, college football is going to, and I want to talk a little bit about the effect of, of, uh, of WWE and SummerSlam on the collision ratings, because it was a substantial hit. Collision went from whatever it was the week before 700, 750,000 down to 400 and change because they were going head to head with SummerSlam. Well, that's going to continue to happen. College football is going to continue to happen. There's going to be a lot of things happening on Saturday nights coming up in the next several months. And in the case of WWE throughout the year, they're going to go head to head with the collision. My guess is that are going to have, it's, and it's going to have, as we saw, substantial impact on collisions viewership. But if Warner discovery is Looking long term at AEW, I would, I can't imagine that the reason they're not supportive of it isn't because of its success on television. Because yeah, you've been number one on Wednesday nights in cable. You know, like I'm, I'm the youngest guy in my neighborhood. Well, everybody around me is in their 80s, so who fucking cares? I'm still 68. Doesn't matter, right? But strategically, it makes sense for Warner Discovery to look at the success, limited success it's had on television and recognize that the the wrestling audience is one of the most loyal audiences in all of entertainment. And that has a tremendous amount of value to a new streaming platform when you're trying to get subscriptions. So that it all makes sense to me. It really does. I hear MLB postseason, NBA, March Madness. Those are substantial, substantial brands that would be streaming content, especially March Madness, one of the most popular sporting events in the world. And college football. I think if you, you know, I'm not a big college football fan. I started getting interested in college football um, maybe a year and a half or two years ago, probably as a little bit of a, a result of, you know, hanging around Conrad and, you know, watching Alabama play, you know, down in his home with his dad and his mom and his family. You know, like I became a college football fan probably because of that, but um, college football is becoming more. I mean, college football is starting to feel a lot like professional football to me with the NIL program and the amount of television coverage, the rearrangement of the, the uh, conferences and things like that. To me, it's starting to feel a lot more like professional football than, college football and and i say that in a positive way mm-hmm. for me now i understand why some hardcore loyal college fans are against it and have issues with it and the pac-10 and all that. i get it but for me as a television entertainment product showcasing talent you know i 
I'm, I'm becoming more and more interested. And I think college football is going to become more valuable as an entity within the next three to yeah. five years than it, it even is today. Massively valuable. I mean, TV and media deals have single-handedly shaped the conferences in college football. That's why the Pac-12 is destroyed. It's gone because of how media rights agreements have completely changed the landscape and shaping yep. of other different conferences. So it is fascinating. Yeah, Warner Brothers Discovery, to my knowledge, off the top of my head, doesn't have any college football properties, but they do have college basketball, and that will be valuable for them when March rolls around especially. So lots to be seen there. Eric Bischoff, uh, good stuff here on the podcast this week. Anything else you want to throw out news-wise that piqued your interest? No, I'm going to take a horse up the top of the mountain behind me uh, a little later this afternoon. Spend about five hours on horseback. And Sounds good. Gonna, uh, we have a friend that's coming through Sturgis. She was in Sturgis. She had a, a, a very good friend of mine. Actually, he's the host over at the Buffalo. He's the MC at the Buffalo Chip Campground in Sturgis. Hey, Tumbleweed, how the hell you doing, brother? Well, his wife, Rhonda, is coming through town with a couple of friends. Very nice. They're going to be hanging out with us this weekend. So, uh other than recording 83 weeks Saturday, I'm going to be uh, doing some horseback riding some Very nice. and hanging out with friends. Very nice. Well, we'd love to have you on our team here at Strictly Business. Head on over to advertisewitheric.com. Get your product out in front of thousands and thousands, and I mean thousands of listeners and viewers every single week with Strictly Business and 83 Weeks. We would love to partner with you here on this program. And make sure, of course, you're heading out to 83weeks.com. That's where you can subscribe to Strictly Business on the 83 Weeks feed or adfreeshows.com where you will get early access to Strictly Business. Fun stuff this week, my friend. Get to your horseback riding. This has been Strictly Business with Eric Bischoff. We will see you next week. Yeehaw! John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.